0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this new episode of my podcast for learners of English around the world. Are you a learner of English? Are you around the world? Then welcome. This show is for you. Here's some more English listening practice, this time with a special guest, the comedian Mark Steele. And I'm very happy to have Mark on the show because I am definitely a fan. In this episode, you will hear me talking to Mark about language, language learning, accents And British local identity with various stories and funny moments along the way. I think a bit of an introduction is necessary for this one. I don't want to go on and on and on unnecessarily at the start here, but I do think that I should give you some info for this one just to help you understand the conversation better. So let me introduce my guest today, and give you an overview of the main points in our conversation to give you a chance, just to give you a chance to understand it better, which will also help you learn more English from it, because as we know, context is everything. So my guest, Mark Steele. Who is Mark Steele? Well, in the UK, Mark is a well-known stand-up comedian and writer, And you see him on the TV sometimes in Britain. He appears on chat shows and panel shows and documentaries. He's a well-known comedian. He's a well-known person. And um, as well as being on the TV, he's also a published author of various books, non-fiction books usually, including his fascinating autobiography and A History of the French Revolution, Mark has a podcast which is called What the F*** is Going On? And yes, I did bleep the word f*** there just because I thought it's a bit early in the episode and I didn't want to take you by surprise. But maybe the bleeping sound did take you by by surprise. I don't know. Are you affected by the F word? Does it have any impact on you as a learner of English? I've noticed that people who have English as a second language tend to be less shocked by that word but saying that, some of my listeners with English as a second language still don't like it. So, I, I don't know. We'll talk about that in the conversation, actually. Anyway, Mark's podcast is called What the Fuck Is Going On? And it's a bit like the Rick Thompson report, but with a lot more swearing. So, that's Mark's podcast. And Mark Steele has done lots of radio shows on the BBC. His most recent BBC radio show is called Mark Steele's In Town. And actually, this is how I ended up meeting Mark through his show, Mark Steeles in Town, which he recently recorded in Paris. So Mark Steels in Town, this is a stand-up comedy show, which is also broadcast on the radio. You can listen to it if you want. You can just download BBC Sounds on your phone. And search for Mark Steels in town. BBC Sounds is the app that you can use to listen to BBC radio and podcasts and stuff. So if you download BBC Sounds, search for Mark Steels in town. You can probably listen to all the episodes. It's a really good show. So the concept of the show is that Mark visits a different town, usually in the UK, every week and records a one hour stand up comedy show, which is all about that town. So it's a one-hour show about that town, recorded in that town. And Mark has visited loads of UK towns and cities. And usually it's the smaller and less well-known places, right? He goes to the slightly more obscure places, not the big famous cities. For each show, he does loads of research beforehand into the specific history and specific local identity of that place. And then he goes on stage in that town and tells jokes and tells funny stories all about the town. And the audience is always made up of local people. And they absolutely love it. They love the fact that Mark has come and he's basically making fun of their town for an hour. And then the audience of the radio show, the people listening at home, they get to listen to it at home and learn some funny things about these local places that they might not have been to. So, the whole show is a celebration of smaller British places, local identities, accents, bits of history, attitudes, and what it really means to come from each specific part of the country. For the final show in his most recent series, He came to Paris and did a show here, and that's how I met him. I was one of the people he spoke to before doing the show as part of his research, and I was able to tell him a few things about life in Paris just to help him prepare his show a little bit. And I went to see the show. I went to see the recording. He did two hours, uh, the first hour in English, and then he did the same thing in French because he does speak French. He's learning the language. He practices French regularly. And uh, yes, you can listen to both of those shows in the BBC Sounds app. So that's how I met Mark. I have to give a shout out to my mum here because my mum follows Mark Steele on Twitter. She saw that he had said, hey, I'm going to Paris. If you know anyone who lives there, let me know. I'd love to talk to them to help me prepare for the show. And my mum said, well, my son lives in Paris. He might be able to help. And so I ended up getting in touch with Mark, spoke to him on the phone, and Mark was kind enough to say, let's go and have a drink before the show and we can meet up after the show as well, uh, which was great. And then I sort of got talking to him and invited him on this podcast and uh, he was very happy to to do it, which is really, really nice. So here's a summary of the conversation. It will definitely help you a great deal if you get a general overview of the things we say, because this is a, com- a fast conversation between two native speakers. And whenever I say that, I always think I'll say that because I want to prepare people. Whenever I say that on the show, there's always people who write in the comments section and they say, this was fine, it wasn't difficult at all. Okay, well, fine, good. Maybe it wasn't difficult because I prepared you in advance. ha-ha, <laughs> there's method to the madness. Now, um... So we start by mentioning the Paris episode of Mark's radio show, which was broadcast by the BBC just the day before, including the French version. And Mark jokes about how some of the reactionary right-wing Eurosceptic newspapers in the UK might find it shocking that the BBC is broadcasting content in French, a non-British language shock horror. So Mark jokes about that. Now, we talk about people being angry in France and in England. Sometimes there's a stereotype that French people in Paris are bad-tempered and often will get angry and argue with each other, whereas English people are more reserved. But is it true? What's the difference between Paris anger and London anger? And how does it manifest itself? And why does Mark enjoy it when Parisians get angry or unhelpful? We talk about customer service styles in Paris and Britain. Again, a stereotype which may be true is that Parisian people are a bit less helpful in customer service situations. But what about Britain? Can British people be rude and unhelpful too? Then we talk about the fact that English people don't learn other languages and why. Plus the disadvantages of not learning another language and how this can make English speakers unaware of the struggle of foreign people speaking their language. This relates to the way that native English speakers are not always the best communicators when talking to non-native speakers of English. We talk about Mark's learning of French, his methods, what he finds difficult, some funny French expressions he's discovered, and generally the challenges and joys of learning another language. We talk about where Mark comes from, his origins, and the attitudes that people from that part of England have about Europe. We talk about Mark's accent, and then different accents from around the country, which, as you know, is one of my favourite subjects. And you'll hear us speaking in different accents during the conversation. It might be difficult to understand those bits, but we are doing it so that you can get to hear those accents and because both of us just love regional accents and find them fascinating and enjoyable. And so I hope you do too. I hope you get into the different accents. It would be a pity if you just closed your ears to the variety of English accents in the UK, only wanting to hear one standard version. I think that would be a pity. It's an attitude I have noticed from learners of English that they only want to focus on let's call it received pronunciation this kind of standard english accent and things that deviate from that which are regional and different people are eh no i don't want that and so they reject it which i think is the wrong attitude i think it's good for your english to be curious about different accents and to hear them, to be exposed to the different varieties, because only a small percentage of people in the world actually speak English like me. So don't shut out the other accents and varieties. Instead, I hope that you embrace them and enjoy them. Even if you choose not to speak English in that way, it's still good to be aware of them and familiar with them ultimately it will make your english stronger i should mention mark's accent which is not the same as mine he's from a part of kent in the southeast of england it's very close to london it's basically it's very close to southeast london and mark's accent reflects that it's a typical london accent really although there are various types of london accent these days but it's a typical southeast london accent really he sounds like a cockney, basically, more or less. He drops H sounds. For example, instead of, how are you doing? It would be like, how are you doing? He uses glottal stops. So that's where T sounds kind of get cut. So instead of saying, what a lot of bottles, it would be, what a lot of bottles, more or less. And his uh sounds, like in, in the word up, for example, are more like ah. So instead of saying, bloody hell, son, It would be like, bloody hell, son. Some of his diphthongs are flat. Like, instead of saying, all round the houses, it would be like, all round the asses. And more, more features. So this is a chance for you to hear that kind of thing and get familiar with it. We talk about the concept of Mark's live comedy show, Mark Steals in Town, which has allowed Mark to find out loads of interesting little facts about the country. And he's met loads of local people doing it. And he has a few stories about the people he's met and the things he's learned. And I think this is really fascinating for you, my audience of learners of English around the world, because it gives you a little window into real British culture in these less well-known places. And arguably, this is where you find the true British spirit and character, rather than in the larger, more international and more cosmopolitan cities like London. I mean, I I guess like the British identity, it's all of these things. It's the cosmopolitan stuff that you get in in the big cities. But it's also, you know, the local things that you get in the places that, you know, tourists to the country don't always visit. So I was very keen to ask Mark about what he'd discovered in various places. So I hope you can follow it all, listeners, and I hope you enjoy listening to us playing around with different local British accents and sharing some of the very specific and very idiosyncratic ways that English is used in local areas. How English is different depending on which part of the country you're in and how this reflects the strong local identities throughout the country. Uh... There is swearing. I mentioned the F word earlier on. There is swearing in this episode. If you are offended by swearing, then there you go. You have been warned. But swearing is a part of the language and this is real British English after all. And we're talking about authentic English, local dialects. And this includes the different ways that swearing is used in the UK. I hope you don't feel offended by the use of strong language here. Really, I I really hope that it doesn't bother you um, I, I don't think it should, really, because we're just examining language and enjoying it in all its rich varieties. The swear words are not directed at anyone in particular. They haven't been weaponized, you know. They're not being used in a direct way against someone. So I hope that you just see it all as language to be explored and understood. But it is strong language in some places, including probably the strongest swear words that we have including the F word, the famous F word, and also, even more shocking than that, the dreaded C word, a four-letter word beginning with C, and even stronger and more powerful than that in certain parts of the country, there's the dreaded R word, Uh, a word beginning with R, and you're thinking, wait a minute, Luke, I know the F word, and I'm pretty sure I know the C word, but what's the R word? Yes, this is a word that begins with R and is considered extremely shocking and offensive, but only in one very specific part of the country. For the rest of the country, it's totally innocuous and harmless, except in one very specific place where you must never say this word. So to find out what that word is and where you should definitely not say it, and to find out, in fact, what happens if you do say it in front of a crowd of people... Just keep listening, okay? Right, so that's my introduction. Let's now start the episode. Let's meet Mark Steele, and here we go.
2: Hello, Mark. Hello, Luke. How lovely to see you. The so last time I saw you, we were in the uh, we were in some uh, indeterminate street in Paris at about one in the morning. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After your shows, um, which uh, are now on the BBC, uh, is the French version available?
2: Ah, uh, went out last night it did uh, oh okay yeah, yeah it's um it's it's available in french Yeah, yeah now as well so i don't know how many people are going to listen to that on the bbc <laughs> and also i don't know at the point at which the, the sort of certain newspapers in in uh, and institutions in britain that love to attack the bbc for any reason at all and i can just see them going now now the licence payer is funding french
1: <laughs> yeah, you might end up in the Daily Express yeah, with that one. Yeah,
2: yeah the, the outrage—quite possible. It is amazingly possible that they will, if they think of it, go. Now we're funding people speaking a language that isn't our own <laughs> in a country that who's who, 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 a part of an institution that. 52% of this country voted to leave. And he's <laughs> saying words like Pond de terre. I'm sick of it.
1: It's a potato. <laughs> it's not a pond de terre. <laughs> I, and this I, whole thing about uh, apples in the ground. What are they yeah, talking well, about? They don't
2: even on an apple. And they are Napoleon. <laughs> and they are on the radio. And they, uh, Yes, the levels of rage, I think for your listeners that are not in England, which sounds like that would be most of them, If you're not – right, here's a thing. But two minutes before coming on to this, would this happen in Paris? I have, as I'm sure you have, sat and watched traffic arguments in Paris. And it's fine entertainment. I sat at a cafe when I was in Paris in May. I was in somewhere, I can't remember exactly where it was, but not far, about half a mile from Notre Dame, somewhere in a cafe where the hotel was. And I spent two or three mornings at this cafe. I got there about seven in the morning and I was sort of working on the show I was doing in the evening. I was listening back to it and everything. And each morning, on two or three occasions, a lorry came through which I was ill-advised because it's a very thin street and it would get stuck a different lorry each morning. And there would be various people behind. And, uh, <laughs> and then he would sort of shrug and go, uh, c'est pas possible, c'est and then, uh, and it, and it was all quite, and then people would sit and watch with a very Parisian sort of condescending Sort of way of looking and a demeanor that was like, hmm, c'est normal. Bah, c'est comme, c'est comme ça. Hein? C'est comme ça. Oui, oui, c'est pas possible. Le camion, c'est trop grand pour les, les, les roues. Et so, et, uh, and <laughs> so it was all very funny, and that, and someone, someone, someone to get out, and that was it. I love that. I love that.
1: I I love watching Parisians arguing with each other. It's just the best. It's just the most entertaining thing because nothing ever really happens. Like the number of times that I've heard stuff going on in the street and I've gone, oh, what's going on? There's going to be a fight or something. And it never fully kicks off. People will just give lots of verbal abuse and stuff like that, lots of posturing, but there's never actually any, never goes any further.
2: Just before I came on here, I was just hopping up the English cafe this morning and I was just driving back. and. There was a guy behind me in a car, and he wanted to turn into the turning I was turning into, but the bloke in front of me had stopped, quite reasonably, (laughs) to let other traffic go past. So I had to stop. My My only other option would have been to drive into the back of this bloke, and even that wouldn't really have helped the situation. So I elected not to drive into the back of this bloke and just to wait for him, the 30 seconds that you know that I had no choice and it didn't really bother me but the bloke behind got so angry and i don't i think if you sort of live in a city like paris i'm not and you've never been to london i'm not sure you would recognise this but the anger the rage in this man i could see it in the mirror and uh and uh, i think he would i would i would really struggle to act that angry if it was sort of if someone on East and if someone on East which is like, for people who don't know, East Enders is a soap opera set in East London, where every single moment of the programme is people were angry. Shut it. Shut it. Already enough. This bloke, if this bloke was on East the director would be going, Can you take it down a bit? It's too much. The rage, I can't exaggerate. If anyone listening, the veins, I could see in the mirror. And he was just, his whole mouth dislocated. Like when you see one of these snakes on a Attenborough film. His whole mouth sort of seemed to be his, like a muppet. His whole face was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I couldn't see. All I could see, obviously I couldn't hear what he was saying. Maybe he was having a philosophical debate with, you know, with uh, whatever podcast he was listening to. They can't underestimate it. Or something, I don't know but the fucking rage in this man. And, um, and of course...
1: Maybe he, maybe he was a Daily Express reader who'd yeah. heard your, uh, your
2: French uh, broadcast yeah. on the BBC and he was just he furious about it. He might have been. Yeah. I, I just sort of... It was absolutely fascinating. I, you know, it would have been... If that had been filmed and it was on an Attenborough, here we see the male in London expressing rage... Of a quite extraordinary nature. you <laughs> fucking Charlie, drive into him! Drive into him! How dare you exist? Now I'm going to be thirty seconds later. I thought the only other option if he was that determined to get to where he was thirty seconds. Later, the only other option he had was to have left his house thirty seconds earlier, and that is in, that is not possible.
1: But that's, I mean, people don't beep their horns in London as much as they do in, in Paris. Like, people will just instantly beep their horn as the solution to all traffic issues. It's just, you know, the, the, the road is blocked. And they can see that it's blocked all the way up because there's a big truck in the road. And they all just start beeping their horns. And even even the people who can't see what's going yeah, on, yeah. like there's just traffic in the yeah. street, they'll just start beeping their horns as if everyone's just like, oh, Oh yeah! They, everyone forgot they were driving down the road and they needed yes. to be reminded Imagine by the horns. Paris. Yeah, in Paris, people yeah. beat their horns all the time. It's just like a normal level of rage, but it seems to be—it's not no, like no, no. that English rage, which is kind of like this no, pent-up rage. In France, if you have even a little bit of frustration, it'll just come out, you know. Whereas in England, we hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, and then pow, it's, it's and it all angry. explodes. It's
2: certainly angry. I mean, I was sort of—I thought, oh, at that moment, I did think. Hmm. This bloke's. This is. This is quite threatening here. <laughs> and I, I. And um. Which I'd never ever. And I don't know. I mean, I. I did quite a bit of me program. I mentioned this, didn't I? About our in France when there's a when there's a even when people are rude in Paris. It for me it's funny. I don't know why, but it just seems funny. It doesn't seem that there's a real aggression behind it. And uh, someone said to me, a guy really lovely fellow called John who, uh, writes for The Guardian, he's the um Paris correspondent for The Guardian. And he said to me that you sort of you what you've learned he's lived in Paris now for twenty five years, his kids have grown up there and all that. And he says, he said to me, you can't fight it. If you try to fight that that sort of Parisian shrug, that sort of deliberate, I'm going to be slightly awkward on purpose. Uh if you try to fight it, you will they it you will lose. You just got to ride with it and go. Yeah, that's what they're like. And then you 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 reach a sort of you know, very happy little state of Parisian sort of acceptance. Uh, but it, here it's different. Here, most people, in my experience, are absolutely lovely, delightful, and polite. But when you get the angry people, and there's quite a lot of them, they are they are. There's there's nothing. There was nothing pleasant about that bloke. And there's quite a lot. Of that. <laughs> I Don't know. Why I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a funny one. Um, so so you come to Paris quite often, don't you? I mean, you 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 do like coming here when you
2: can. Yeah, I love it. I haven't. I mean, yeah, you know, I've got, I've got to work and have, you know family and stuff, so I don't uh, come as often as I would like to. Uh, but yeah, I love it. I feel very I feel very much at, at home there. I don't know why. Maybe there's a bit of me wants to be wants to be sort of. Um, Wants to just be rude when it when the mood takes. I mean, there was, was a bit because I'd, I'd written the script about 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 that quite a bit. And then when we uh, um, got to, I came over at the end of September <coughs> uh, and met up first of all with two colleagues from the BBC who came over as well to make the program, uh, the, the, and the the two who didn't speak French at all. And I sort of mentioned to them, you know, what this is what it'll be like. And we went to the uh, Gardunor. They, they arrived at Gardinor, Uh, I went and met them. We went to the little ticket office, and I'd written a bit about this script, and it exactly happened exactly as I'd written it, <laughs> because the the guy in there, the little Guichet, and he was looking absolutely bored. I think I put in the script that it was that they those people in those places display the minimum amount of enthusiasm. That it is biologically possible to display whilst, while remaining alive. <laughs> and uh, and <laughs> the, wanted a ticket. The ticket, bought a ticket. The ticket didn't work. Okay. Tried to buy another ticket. We had a ticket ready. Did, tried to buy another ticket. Offered him money. No, 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 no. So he didn't accept any money. Okay. He went, Have you been cards? Yeah, I've got a card. Yeah. So I got my card out and he went, The machine, the mushba. The machine doesn't work. So, so right. So, I can't pay with money and I can't pay with a card.
1: Also, he let you try. He let you try to yeah, yeah. do it. He didn't
2: tell you beforehand. It's brilliant. But here's the really interesting thing was that we, because I, I said, well, what do I, what do I do? Yeah. Kiss call fair. And he went, Junicey Bar, I don't know. And I, <laughs> so we stood there and I sort of laughed and he just sat there looking like, I don't care. And uh, well, you have got to go. Why does that affect me? And there was no rudeness. It was funny. And the two people I was with thought it was funny. They could sort of get what was happening. And then just after about two or three minutes, he just went boom, and he pressed a button and opened the door. And we just went in. So we went in for nothing. So almost like, there's no malice there's no malice to to the lack of uh,
1: uh, customer service it's not like I'm gonna be unhelpful out of spite towards you it's more just like you know this is I yeah, just want yeah, yeah. to just have a relaxed day and uh, and, and he's like in almost yeah, enjoying yeah, yeah. letting you go through the motions even though he yeah. knows that he can just open the door. You know, and for some reason, there's always that—that that always happens in these little transactions where there needs to be a little yeah. bit of a problem. There needs to be yeah, a, you yeah, need yeah, to climb yeah, exactly. a little hill before ultimately you realise that it's just the yeah. push of a button and then everything's okay. But yeah. there, there needs to be several stages yeah, of yeah, pff, a, "c'est pas possible." Yeah, yeah. It's, there's lots of "pas possible" first before it becomes possible. And
2: I don't know, don't know why. Maybe uh, in Paris, instead of "liberté, égalité, fraternity, I think "c'est pas possible" should be there. <laughs> Should be just like,
1: yeah, <laughs> just that written across <laughs> the assembly <laughs> national, mais c'est pas possible, bon, it's, it's,
2: c'est comme ça. But there's something very endearing <laughs> about it, I think. And as you say, it is always, and I guess that the more you know, that's just to get onto the bloody metro. I would imagine if you want to buy property, that involves, and I have a you know, I have I've watched someone try to do this, um, buying a bit of property, I guess that's that's probably takes six months of going through sipa possible in lots of very big documents and forms and then suddenly it it is possible and and then it happens. It's the same just incredible levels of
1: papa like all sorts of levels of it where you can't even see the papa possible anymore. It's like, you know, you're in a forest and you're just like, ah where, how what
2: is going on? So have you done that? Have you have you done that, Luke in-
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. We bought a, a flat um, here, yeah, um, last year. So this is like our first year living in it. And um, I mean, my wife handled it all. You know, she's French, so she handled all of that stuff. And uh, I just like tried to hold on, you know, try and follow exactly what's going on. Um, and it worked out okay in the end. Um, and um, the, the the difficult thing was getting all the work done in our in our place. All right, and. Uh, trying to communicate with the guys doing the doing yeah. the work there were like three different languages no one spoke anyone else's oh, language lovely, yeah. you know there was like it, it, it was done by some guys from egypt and they didn't speak french or english i didn't speak Fre- i didn't speak french or arabic and um so that was interesting
2: so how's that worked what have they built then they've got oh we didn't really, we didn't really put a bathroom on the ceiling
1: I- yeah we're still trying to sort out the aftermath of of that particular job but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a crazy one.
2: English on the other hand, I know I did this um, in the in the program, but it was it's a true story. When I was coming over just before the lockdown, and I got the I've decided to go on the boat, and I thought that'd be a nice, you know, lovely change. And uh, the boat itself was fine, but the the paraphernalia of that was this is a very English thing. So I went to Dover, got the P and O ferry. This was before P and O bankrupt, obviously. And it, they've given up, really, the the ferry people. They've obviously surrendered to the Eurostar now eventually. And it's just tatty. And there's a little office you go to and you have to show your passport and prove that you've bought a ticket. And there's this woman in this dirty old office who looks down a list, just looks down a sheet of paper to see if you've bought the – almost like you're trying to get into a nightclub or something and you see if you're on the list. Yeah, yeah. And she was, she's English. And she's absolutely bored, but in an English way, not in a sort of garden or metro way, in a very English sort of absolutely mm-hmm. exhausted way. And there was a, a woman in front of me who spoke, who seemed to speak only French. Now, given that half the people there, they're trying to get on a boat to go to Calais. So you would think at least half the people that she encounters are French. Yeah. This woman at this little P&O office in Dover. And the woman in front of me, <clears throat> spoke French to her. Excusez-moi, madame, j'ai, j'ai reservé un, un billet pour le bateau qui va partir uh, après-midi. And the Englishwoman, I promise his exact words, she went, Oh, don't talk to me in French. My French is fucking shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't and, talk to me in <laughs> French. Oh, for Christ's sake. It's
2: <laughs> <laughs> fucking shit. I just. <laughs> And it's just so <laughs> that that is why I love England. That, I love that woman. <laughs> this is the customer
1: service at P and Ferries. Like, I'll, oh, oh, don't speak to me in French for Christ's
2: sake. My my French is fucking shit. And of course, the, luckily the French woman didn't seem to speak English enough to her. Uh, uh, pardon, uh, and then I, I sort of intervened a bit, but there was a uh, amazing, amazing like English people just don't
1: like, like even the one serving the French people who are going to France, like the <laughs> idea that she has to speak French to them is just oh, for
2: oh, God, don't make me speak French for goodness sake. I couldn't blame her, you know, she's not learned it, she's probably paid about minimum wage, yeah. But the, I think there is, a, of course, there is another side to that, which is the English refusal to learn another language and there's lots of reasons for that and one of them is that we don't have to Mm -hmm. because you go around the world speaking english and usually be all right but part of it i think it's the and i I guess this comes into the sort of remit of uh, of, what your listeners are listening out for it a bit one of the things i find very frustrating if you don't try to learn another language you don't understand the other person's point of view with a language. So I heard, I was listening to the football uh, on the radio a few weeks ago <clears throat> and there was, I can't remember which French person it was, Patrice Edford or someone like that. Someone who was French, who spoke amazingly good English. And the commentator asked a question that was so full of phrases, you know, I mean, he's, so what do you think Patrice? I mean, he's gone, you know, he's gone all around the houses with this and up and down and all over the shop. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, what's what's going on with him? You know, I, I, we, we can understand whether, the, you know, whether he, he, you know, is he back or front or is he in the team or out or what? You know, what's going what's going on, mate? He's like a bleeding, you know, donkey out of a whatnot or something <laughs> like that? It was something yeah. like that, and he went, "I am sorry, what have you just said to me?" And I, <laughs> and I thought, don't you. Somehow we have no concept of what it's like to come at a language that you don't, Mm -hmm. you know, if you try to, I think everyone should try and learn a language because at the very least you understand how difficult it is for other people speaking your language.
1: Yeah, there is definitely a thing where, like, English speakers, uh, you know, English people who meet people who don't speak English as a first language, often we've got no idea about how to grade our language for them. And people, okay. instead of making it simple, they for some reason make it more complicated. Like, instead of saying, sorry, uh, where is the market? They say, uh, do you know of the whereabouts of the serving area where it is possible to purchase uh, foodstuffs to be consumed? You know, like, we, I don't know why we do these things. And also yeah. throw in lots of idioms to try and make the person relaxed. It's like, all right, yeah, mate, you know, I'm just having a little yeah, yeah. shifty around the place. Do you know where I can get some grub? Yeah. You know, yeah. as if that's going to make the person comfortable. What is
2: shifty? I have looked up on Google Translate. It's not shifty. <laughs> well, you know, fucking all oh, stuff and shit and that. Stuff and shit and that. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, no, exactly. I was, um, actually, I was just so this week. I sort of have a French lesson every week. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, learning, trying to learn, oh, just learn. I don't really know. I don't know. I'd be interested to know what you think about this, Luke. But I, I, I don't really think there's any way with a language round the fact that you do have to just sit there and learn it. I think all of these sorts of daft sort of adverts, learn a language in three weeks, or people go, oh, just listen to the radio and you'll pick it up. I don't think there is a way around the fact. So I've just tried to learn 30 of them. Marches sur des Oh, the one I like was uh, two. Uh, I you know love this uh, if someone's a bit crazy. Tu a trop proche Your cradle was rocked too close to the wall. Wow, that's good. That's horrific, <laughs> so So you yeah. wax your head against the no wall. No <laughs> wonder, <no laughs> wonder your bloody doolally, mate. Your cradle was not too close to the wall. The cradle <laughs> was, was
1: rocked too close to the wall like when you were a baby. This is a French yeah, yeah. idiom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Bercé trop proche de la de le mur yeah, yeah um, exactly. Meaning the the cradle. So, a cradle. Just for my listeners who don't know, a cradle is what a child will maybe sit in, like a little cot or something that swings yeah, back yeah. and forth to help the baby sleep. And uh, the cradle was rocked too close to the wall. So I, so, I suppose this means that the the kid banged its head against the wall yeah. over and over again.
2: That meaning the, the, the whole the, backstory. Yes. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, there, and that is why you've lost your keys. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
1: So, yeah, the different approaches. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, it's absolutely you do have to just sometimes apply yourself to just learning phrases, grammar and memorizing things. To be honest, it's like the whole package. You've got to listen and read a lot and also actually get into the nitty-gritty of the language and do the mechanical and sort of memory-level stuff.
2: I don't think there's any way around it. I, I, I mean, some people might disagree, and maybe some people have a brain that means you can just listen to French radio or listen to Italian radio. and Wallop, there you are, speaking Italian. But I, I've never come across anyone who's genuinely done that. And, um, uh, yeah, oh, Posian Lapin, I think, is brilliant well. You know that? What, show a rabbit? What? Yeah. yeah. It means to stand someone up. So if you go, you know, it's not, um, so it's, it's not to stand someone up. Usually in English is, uh, is, is romantic, isn't it? Oh God. I, you know, we went, uh, I I met someone on Tinder or whatever, and then they, they, they stood me up.
1: So we had a date at the cinema. I was waiting outside the cinema, but she didn't come. Oh no,
2: she stood me up. Yeah. stood me up. Exactly. Uh, and in French, it's p- p- posi en lapin, to show a rabbit. But it's also, um, but it's a friend. Um, so I was meeting a friend tonight and he showed me a rabbit. So if you were, <laughs> even if you spoke a bit of French, but you didn't know that, you would think, what?
1: Is your friend a magician? What? what? <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. Did
1: he arrive in a top hat with white gloves on? And look, oh, very good. Nice trick. Anyway, let's go
2: for a drink. Yeah, exactly. Not only showed me the rabbit, but then when we went for a drink, the rabbit was a nuisance. He made it disappear. <laughs> like, and uh, yeah,
1: funny expressions. So, so um, how, how is your learning of French? How's it going? How you? What's the What's the most difficult thing for you?
2: Uh, it's listening to any sort of any drama. Uh, if I listen to so, I, you know, I've just done a, a show in French that's gone on the radio. I'm all right talking to someone in French one-to-one. I can do that all day, and I am I'm I reckon I get 90% of what they're saying, possibly. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've walked away from speaking all day with someone in French, unaware that they've been telling me that they're a serial killer. And I've just thought, what nice man. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or at the end, at the end, you're like,
1: okay, bye, all right, bye, see you next week. And then afterwards, when you've gone, they're like, oh God,
2: ah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's possible. You know, I've gone away thinking, oh, what a nice, that nice lady works in the greengrocer's. No, she was actually telling you she's an astronaut. Oh, I don't, I don't know, but I think I'm sort of, but and I can listen to the news and I get probably 70, 80% of that. If I try to listen to a film in French on Netflix, nothing. I barely understand a thing, and I have the French subtitles. If I can put them on, yeah. then uh, then I can follow it. But without without that, you absolutely useless. So I swing from being, oh, I've cracked this, to then thinking I haven't learned a thing, and it's yeah. quite depressing. Uh, until you sort of go, in a way, it's like that with everything in life, isn't it? It's like you know, imagine you're playing. I don't know tennis. You might get to a point where you're you're actually. It's, let's say you get to be the best player in your club. You might think I'm absolutely brilliant, and you go to a regional tournament, and you you can't win a point. And it's yeah. it's like, you know, in a way, that it's like anything in life, isn't it? I it's suppose. like
1: the. Is it the Dunning Kruger effect? There's a I can't remember exactly the shape of it, but it's a it's a it's a wave which shows. Oh God! Okay, hold on a second. Let me just Google this because I can't just talk about it um, off the top of my head um, without getting it all wrong. So the Dunning Kruger effect. So it, it's it's a cognitive bias whereby. Right people with low ability or low expertise or low experience regarding a certain type of task or area of knowledge tend to overestimate their ability or knowledge. And there is a, a wave which I can – hold on. I can try and show this on the screen. If I share my screen, this should also be recorded.
2: Oh, there's a big old graph, yeah. So it's a graph,
1: right? And it's – sustainability. It sustainability. That's where you want to be. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Oh, so, so there's a thing called Peak of Mount Stupid and then a Valley of Despair. Yeah. Got yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. So just to
1: describe it, just for the listeners. So it's a, um, a graph. Um, the axis on the left, the vertical axis, uh, shows confidence. And you've got high at the top and low at the bottom, of course. And then the horizontal axis... Uh, says uh, competence, like your ability to do something, uh, with you know nothing on the left, and then you are an absolute guru who knows everything on the right. And then the line is that you start obviously at the bottom and you shoot all the way up, uh, all the way up to the top in terms of confidence. Right at the beginning, um, as you uh, progress, because yes. making a little bit of progress in learning a language. Yeah. Uh, means that suddenly you feel like you're able to um, speak that language. So we've all been there. We've all kind of learned another language a little bit and then suddenly we're trying to run before we can walk and we are trying to like debate philosophy or something in the other language Uh, but then without realizing it it's all broken down and so you don't realize how little you know or how bad you are at the very beginning and then you slowly come to terms with it you slowly realize and you dip all the way down as you come face to face with reality and you get down to the valley of despair and then slowly but surely you piece things back together and you as you uh make further progress you slowly build up your confidence but i think this wave of kind of going yeah i'm brilliant and then oh god no i'm terrible and then you claw your way back that is a constant wave
2: yeah absolutely through agree the learning of a language absolutely. i think And i think it's not, i think it's the same with anything because i think it's quite easy to make yourself um to make yourself seem like an expert, like if you went to the library and borrowed a 200-page book on First World War aircraft and you read that, you could then sound like an expert on First World War aircraft. People would be going, blimey, Luke knows all fun! amazing, he knows all about what different types of Cessnas and, I mean, was it with this, that and the other? Camels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Amazing. He knows how many were shot down over here and that. But then, if you went to a convention, a First World War aircraft convention, you would be the idiot who who you've only read one book (laughs) on all you've done. And so, I think it's fair, but I think it's fairly easy to make yourself so, particularly in England, where in Britain, where people are so bad at languages, if you go. you you have to do so little to impress other people around you who speak nothing. So if you if you manage to go uh, – if you're the one who goes to the front when you all get to Paris and go to the hotel and you're able to say, uh, bonjour, monsieur, uh, j'ai, uh, j'ai réserve um, uh, uh, nuit, uh, uh, de nuit pour les quatre, that's – i at him! I could Charles de Gaulle. So, uh, but if you're, <laughs> but, uh, but as soon as you actually start to engage with it properly, you realise how difficult it is. And I've spent a lot of time. You know, I've spent a lot, a real lot of time trying to learn this bloody language. And uh, yeah, and I still go through those, throw those those waves. So, just had a couple of hours on Thursday with the. French woman who teaches, you know, we speak French all the time and we never break into English and it's fine and then and we were talking about the bloody all the chaos in Britain uh, the the economy and all that, uh, all fine but then the minute I sort of turn on a French film or a French television program, I'm in a terrible pickle. The news, I'm alright because it's sort of done more steadily and they, but as soon as you know, I don't know, little phrases I suppose, you know, something like Jemonic Goop you know, I'll see to it. That that threw me. I heard someone say that, and then I had to yeah. look it up. You have to stop and. But I suppose one day I'll get I'll get to that. But uh, yeah, uh, it's very it's very very difficult. So I suppose the only thing I would say to anyone to learn a language is don't despair at that. Look look back at where you've come from and go. Oh no, I can do all of this now. Don't just look ahead at all the things you haven't done yet. Also look back at the things you have managed to achieve, and that's like anything isn't it you know i
1: would agree yeah you've got to like just be aware of the progress you've made and try and stay positive and stay motivated that is like absolutely essential because you know you've just got to keep moving when learning a language and if you stop then it all starts to fall apart it's just like you know it's like doing physical training if you if you stop going to the gym then the muscles start to get all flabby and you lose it you know so you've got to just keep keep working it's
2: exactly like that yeah
1: If one thing isn't working, if you failed in one thing, you just, it's all right, you know, don't beat yourself up. You go and do something else, you know. uh, If you don't understand that movie, it's not the end of the world. Go on and just like read a book or listen to something that you do understand and then come back to the film. But I've, I've heard many, many, many times from my listeners and my students that listening to films and TV shows is the hardest thing. Oh, it's really? really, yeah, yeah. It's like, it, I, it's really interesting because everyone automatically goes to Netflix and they go, I'll oh, watch Netflix and this will be my way of improving my English uh, because they think they'll just be able to sit back and enjoy a TV show. But uh, maybe that's the thing. Maybe we expect it to be relaxing and easy and pleasant, but because it's in another language that we're trying to learn, and because it's all very naturalistic dialogue, there's a lot of music, there's lots of sound effects. Uh, It's a visual medium, so the uh, language, you know, the the oral language is not front and center. It's quite hard to catch what they're saying, and so um, it is actually really hard. And so. Uh, we become suddenly very aware of how much more difficult and how much more unpleasant it is as an experience to watch something in another language. So, oh, yeah, God. Netflix and movies and things are really difficult and maybe not the best thing no, to, no, no. to well, listen well, to. Well, I'm
2: glad to hear that because that means that, you know, I'm not quite... Yeah, yeah.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot... To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Oh, I went last night. It's interesting sometimes. I think oh, I wonder how much you actually catch in your own language. You don't realise you've not caught it. Yeah. You're watching a film. You think there's probably bits that are mumbled, and, and you think, oh, that's like, but you don't. Oh, that's okay. It don't really matter. I didn't, oh, they yeah. were speaking yeah. while the kettle was boiling or whatever. You don't actually. Oh, I went to a thing last night. This did my head in. <laughs> so I happen to be on my own this weekend, but in a, uh-huh. in a nice way. My son, who lives in the house with me, he's, he's off with his girlfriend and my daughter's in Brighton. She's got a baby, and that's all lovely. And my uh, lovely partner has gone down to the Isle of Wight with her daughter. Okay. So I'm, uh On my own. So, you know, and you sort of think, all right, well, let's make a virtue out of this. So I went to the uh, local cinema on my own, and I thought, this is great, I love doing that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> It was this horror film. I didn't know. I just went in. It was called Smile. Mm-hmm. And I just, um, I just went in. thought, oh, all right. A Smile film. sounds nice. Fucking Ada. There's an idiom <laughs> for you. <laughs> fucking, fucking Ada. Who is fucking Ada? Ada is not. It, right. For anyone learning English who doesn't know this phrase, fucking Ada is not good. No. Oh, my God. Giddy Here we are, another one. Oh, my oh, Giddy Aunt. Oh, my Giddy Aunt. I don't know how many people say that now. Only me, probably. It's probably from about the 1920s. But <laughs> fucking Ada and Oh, My Giddy Aunt. Yeah. I came out a gibbering wreck from this thing. It clearly was very good at what it did. Wow. It Demon. traumatized you. It absolutely did traumatize me. Yeah. What?
1: what really? Okay. That's an effective film. I don't want really to
2: give it away because anyone wants to see it, but it was really... What? Oh no, oh, <laughs> no, no I'm on my own and I've got to go. oh. oh no and
1: you were scared you had to go home on your own. Um okay, yeah. okay, well there you go, folks. If you want to get a good scare, um watch the film Smile, uh which is uh, uh, God knows why they call it Smile. But no, well, uh,
2: well there is a very good reason. Severe. Oh okay, okay. It's it's there's demons involved. Uh uh, oh, like go. demons uh,
1: um, <laughs> all right <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to ask you, as well uh, about... Um, so, yeah, that's it. I wanted to ask you where you're from. You just said things like fucking Ada and oh my goody <laughs> and stuff like that. And also my, my listeners, I, whenever I have guests on the, the show, I do like to ask them where they come from just so that my listeners can get an idea of where the accent is from so they can place the accent, you know, because everyone's got an accent and, uh, you know, I want my listeners to be able to at least maybe understand or identify s- somewhat the various accents
2: we're in the area of my one of my favorite subjects. Yeah. Because I'm very, uh, very, very interested in, in accents. Uh, and uh, I'm from Kent, which is the bit nearest Europe, which uh, it celebrates by beating the place that mostly most hates Europe. So, <laughs> and, yeah. You know, coming over here. So again, uh, again yeah, <laughs> same it was the same with the fucking Gauls and Saxons, the, the Normans. Normans. Yeah, I had a joke I to the actors about about when you hear builders on phone ins that go, uh, "thing is, right, the foreign builders, right, you know, they're destroying the job for us, right?" Because say you're Polish builder, right, they'll come over here and they'll say, they'll say, to you, we're going to come round on a Wednesday, right?" And then what they do. Is they come round on a Wednesday? We can't compete with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, did you hear people say that? What well, that be French? Comment yeah. people new rivaliser contre cela. So, well, uh, so they. Uh,
1: so you're from you're from Kent. You're from, uh, from Kent. which which part of Kent? Does it make a difference yeah. which part?
2: Yes. So Kent is a very is a lovely English phrase. Iggledy piggledy. Mm -hmm. it's all different bits together melange uh and it's there's some very very beautiful and uh tranquil parts of kent and then right next to it there will be a really poor town uh there is in fact um i would think Many French people may have been on it. There's a beautiful little miniature railway, tiny thing, um, beautiful thing. Kids love it. I went on it a lot when I was young, called the Romney high and Dimchurch Railway. And it's so Kent because it, it it's sort of these nice people with – uh, uh, retired people, volunteers in uniforms. Hello, son. Yeah, you go and you give you a little old ticket from 1950, a little cardboard thing. You put that on the train and you can go on the railway, my little angel. And then all the kids <laughs> get, get, go on the little train, a family, and, they, and you could see tourists, you know, with a picnic and a little plastic box, Tupperware box with the sandwiches. And they must think, oh, this beautiful railway, it's going to go through some charming Kent villages. And then it goes through a place called Dimchurch, <laughs> where these huge blokes in union back shorts and stuff. So the kids are waving at them, and they're like, you fucking waving at I- <laughs> and then, and then, it, it, and then it'll go through a nice little village. Oh, maybe we're stopping here for a picnic, and then through another one of those towns. And it ends up, they must think, oh, it must end up probably by a cliff and we can watch the sea and we can fly a kite. And it ends up at Dungeness Power Station. Lovely. Uh, and it's this very, very beautifully bleak uh, bit of scenery. Uh, ah. It's staggering. Have a, can you get it up, Luke? Can you get it up on the, have a look at it, uh, the image of
1: Dungeon S power station. It's a sort of when was this built? Is this a kind of nineteen it's like made of concrete basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a concrete power station. It's very bleak looking. It's like something from in the nineteen sixties, this would have been a vision of the future. Absolutely. But now-
2: That's absolutely what it is. Yeah. Okay. Unbelievable. And that's where this beautiful charming tourist attraction thing ends up there. And I have said sometimes tourists must think ah they're going to drive us into it. This is how <laughs> you get this is how you get fuel in Kent. Burn yeah tourists. that's it's
1: how the english that's how the english uh energy grid is powered by by <laughs> pushing tourists into this old weird 1960s power station and, <laughs> and transforming them into electricity
2: yeah. so that's very kent so i was brought up there but i was brought up in a bit that's near near london so my accent is probably mostly south london but not but not entirely i guess yeah um, so yeah that's that's where i would be if you're to be really nuanced about it there is an east london It would be like mine but the vowels would be a bit longer so it sounds a little bit more aggressive that's do. your that's like your jason staph a
1: minute these
2: that's days the, your modern I'm example of that yeah he be right. yeah i guess he'd be east End south london's quite capable of being aggressive like my man in the car earlier but Eastland, and Eastland, Eastland, and like Eastland. that, they got no top lip at all, like that. You know what I'm saying? That's it, that's exactly it. No that's top exactly lip, you're doing, that's it, yeah. Just the but teeth, it's probably quite subtle if you're not English to listen to hear the difference there, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's so even within London, there are, uh, there are, yeah, yeah. there are yeah, all sorts of different accents, definitely. Yeah. You did, you so you've, um.
1: So we were talking about your show earlier that you did in Paris. That was like the last show of the season of your BBC radio show called Mark Steele's yeah. in Town. And um, for the rest of the season, you've been traveling around the country, visiting lots of different okay. places. So it's a, it's a great idea for a show. It's amazing. And um, so you go, how does it work then? How it, wh- what, what kinds of places do you visit and, and what's the process?
2: Right. So about 12 years ago, uh, the BBC radio asked me to come up with an idea for a program, and I didn't really know what to say. And I just sort of found myself saying in conversation, I've always thought that the bit as a comic you enjoy most about going to a town is the little three minute bit you do at the start of the show about that town. I love doing that, finding out two or three little things. And I've often thought, I wonder if you could do a whole show about a town. You obviously can't do it in a live tour because it would take you, you'd only be able to do six yeah. shows a year. But if that was a radio sh- series or a television series, uh, then you would have the time to do that. Just write a whole show about the history of the town, the characters in the town, the things people care about in the town. And I just bit by bit found that it does work. And people, I think, and people listen to it at home in a different way to the people in the audience because the people in the audience are hearing about their own town and the people at home are hearing about a town they don't know anything about and the yeah. audience makes it really so for example before Paris I went to Newport which is a small town in South Wales one of the things I loved was they've got a huge thing called a transporter bridge there a quite an amazing thing built in 1906 great big enormous bridge and I mentioned the bridge, and the whole theater There's about five hundred people there. The whole theatre just cheered, just cheered, really, because they love
1: it. You just mentioned the
2: bridge, and they all went, Yay! "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah!" <laughs> exactly, and it's because they they it, it, they identify with it. It's so much fun. Po- oh, no. I, afterwards, I was in a pub, and a guy comes up to me. Yeah, Matt, you want mate want to look at that. And he rolled his shirt sleeve up and he's got a tattoo of the bridge on his arm. And he went, I said, that's amazing. And he went, the thing is, right, And there's a new pod accent. It took me day to learn this. Right? He goes, "There's thing is with that, Mark, I was, when my son was born in the maternity ward in the hospital, it's right opposite the bridge. So I held my newborn son in my, son in my arms for the first time. And I looked out of the window and that's what I could see. So I thought, I'm going to have that tattooed on my arm.
1: If people were to see the bridge, I mean, what, what does it look like? Because that's a very beautiful thing that you just said, where this guy who lives in the area, it, yeah. his newborn baby holding it in his arms for the first time, he looks out the window and there's the bridge and he thinks, I'm going to have that tattooed on my arm. Yeah. Now, what, what actually does the bridge look like, though?
2: Well, it's, it looks a lot more modern than you would think. It was built in 1906. It's a great big metal grid so it goes up 200 feet i think quite high so you can climb up these metal steps to go up one side then there's the same the other side and then there's a platform along the top that's wire mesh so it it's not good if you're a little bit wobbly about heights it it is a bit scary so uh and then uh, hanging from the top are all these cables, and at the bottom is a big platform. And (laughs) so in the program, I say it's an extraordinary bit of engineering, but it is worth it because as a result of this bridge, it is capable of transporting as many as three cars an hour to the other side of the river. (laughs) That's (laughs) pretty pretty much what it does. Three cars an hour. It would actually be probably more efficient to have your car dragged through the river by an elephant uh, but it's it but it's very very beautiful and it's so it's and it's very metallic and very industrial should we say
1: yeah that's right i mean you know people have got different versions of beauty but um it's it's got that industrial kind of um turn of the century uh, uh mechanical engineering type of be- yeah. beauty and it's um so the way it works here yeah, is is that it's not a bridge that you can walk over or drive over instead it just carries a platform uh, across the river um and it would have been i guess really really important these days it's used for transporting cars across but yeah not the most efficient three cars an hour <laughs> um,
2: this is how difficult yeah. languages we were talking about so i have to try and learn phrases from a town and i learned there's a there's a a, a sort of jokey hip-hop group called goldie looking chain from newport uh, and they are very much the essence of Newport, and I got to sort of know them a bit when I did the program, and they they helped me a lot with the accent. And uh, one phrase I got <laughs> from them was, uh, uh, "As if I do it, I started off the program with this." And a scar, they sees you in the park on the draw, you knows it. Wow! Now, I think most English people, I until I did the program, would have heard that, and it might as well have been Polish. But it's and a So A is sort of a mate. I sees you because I they so they muck about with the tenses. Not I saw you, but I sees, I sees, sees you. I sees you in the park. That's that's so okay. On the draw is having a smoking uh, a spliff, smoking a spliff. Uh, you know, it. So that's like, I'm I just, you knows
1: I seen I sees you in the park. Meaning, you know, I saw you that's know I saw you doing in the that
2: quite well actually because it's a really hard accent. You're doing that really well. Well, i was just yeah.
1: copying you, but I don't know. I don't know if I could do more. But yeah, I love accents as well, and I noticed that about your show that you definitely try to learn the accent of each place yeah, yeah. that you go to, which is really
2: fascinating. I don't always do it. I did with Newport. I think I got it, but I didn't. I tried Nottingham. I spent a day up there with a uh, even with a someone from the lang- uh, from the university and stuff who's a language person who was teaching me and I and I thought I'd got it and then I lost it a little bit it's tricky like,
1: the tr- tricky that area that sort of North Midlands sort of um yeah. uh, that area where it's like mixed between the Midlands and Yorkshire or something
2: no, that's, exactly that's exactly it so it's Yorkshire but the eyes the eyes go boy like Birmingham so mm. uh, a, a fight is a fight so but so it's like it's like you're saying fight like Birmingham people would, but in a Yorkshire accent. there, Foyt. Foyt. Foyt, that's it.
1: Foyt. Yeah. Something like that.
2: Yeah, that's it. Foyt. Yeah, I can't I say I've lost it. completely now, but I, but yeah. Oh, and here's one. To, I, I'm sorry if this is confusing your listeners. You don't need to know this, but it, I just think it's interesting. So this is a phrase they have. If it's If it's going to rain, they go, it's looking black over Bill's mother's. And that brilliant in in where, in Nottingham.
1: In Nottingham, it's looking black over Bill's mother's meaning Bill's mother's house. Bill's mother's house. It's It's looking black 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 over Bill's mother's house. I can understand that it's looking black part over the house, meaning the clouds are dark, right? I would say. Yeah, yeah,
2: I think that's probably it. Yeah. But
1: who's Bill's mother?
2: Well, we don't know. Uh, It's. Exactly. And so, if you, I don't know if you're from a if you're German, but who uh, is Bill? You you know this Bill? No, I uh, don't. No, there is no Bill. But how do you? Know? She is. She is the meteorologist in the <laughs> town. Yes, and she understands. But if Bill's mother maybe lives in another country, and so it does not indicate that uh, it will rain in this country. <laughs> she is living somewhere else, like Japan. No, 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 uh, no. It's just over Bill's mother's. But we have to ascertain where she is living to understand where it is the rain is likely to come. No. <laughs> No, it's just it doesn't. No, it's just black it's over. Just an Bill's expression.
1: Mothers. It's just an expression. <laughs> but maybe it's his
2: name time, and this is what... no. It's just fucking black over Bill's mothers. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: what, 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 um, I don't know how to ask you like a deep and insightful question about what you've learnt about the country from doing your show, uh, without it sounding pretentious. But I'll just do it. So, have you learnt any anything insightful about?
2: The country from doing that show. Yeah, I suppose what I what I have what you know, I've learned is that everywhere you go. So we've done sixty six, I think, of these shows now, and uh, apart from Paris, Malta, Gibraltar, all the others have been in sort of Britain. We're doing the Channel Ars and the Isle of Man. So, you know. And everywhere you go there are a big group of people that probably comprise the majority who have a great love and affection for the place that they're in they love the history they love the they you know not to the extent that i've got bloody gone into it with a, with a mania but they love the sort of they love the fact that they've got their accent that makes that makes it different to other places i think people love that sense Things like in Newport, there was a huge cheer for a woman who runs a place called Fanny's Cafe. So this woman was more famous in Newport, the woman who runs the famous cafe. And it's not a posh cafe. It really isn't. Uh, she was more famous probably than Rihanna. If Rihanna came was in front of that audience, probably half of them wouldn't know who she was. But everyone knew who Fanny was. And there's a great love of those things that make a place what it is i think and that shows to me there is still very much a sense of community i mean i say i've got it like for example i say this in my act in northampton there's a town called northampton everybody oh this is a good one for learning english in northampton everybody knows about the sign outside the hospital that says family planning advice use rear entrance
1: (laughs) Wait, we've got to have to break that down. Family planning. (laughs) There's a sign outside the hospital. It says family planning advice. Use rear entrance.
2: Yes. (sighs) Now, that's a great one to teach. That's a great one to sort of teach people, isn't it? I'll, yeah, I'll but
1: be... I'd wonder if my listeners have noticed that. They weren't even – some of them will have noticed it and got it. Some people will have noticed that there's a joke here, but they haven't got it yet. And a lot yeah, of yeah. other people have not even noticed that there's a joke there. So uh, <laughs> family planning – imagine, listeners, there's a hospital, and at the back there is a sign, family planning advice. So f- family planning, that's when, you're, when you've decided to have a baby or try to have a baby right and yes. family planning is in you know all the things you need to think about or and do it could
2: be about contraception
1: or it could be about a conscious yeah it
2: could be, you know uh, uh, this is where you go to a woman to get a coil fitted or something like that
1: exactly family planning all 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 the, all the things you need to do if you want to have a baby and also all the things you want to do if you don't want to have a baby it's all together in one category of family planning and so r- use rear entrance means two things one <laughs> One thing is that it means uh, use the entrance to the building, which is around the back, around the rear of the building. But also use rear entrance could be sexual advice for you know it's advice for how to have sex in a certain at position.
2: A, yes, and a certain position which is not going to result in a in a baby. <laughs> yeah, so, of course. Yeah. So there is a so it's it and. But I love too. I love the joke of it. But I also love that everybody in Northampton knows that. So that's <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. It's like a local. It's a local thing that every single person knows. That is a yeah. That's a wonderful thing. And everywhere you've been, you've managed to find these little local things that everyone knows, like Lovely Fanny, who's got the cafe in Newport, and yep. the the family planning sign at the hospital in in Northampton.
2: Everywhere, yeah. They're everywhere, uh, and it's uh, and they're uh, and also in Nottingham, for example. And, uh, and now I can't believe there was never a point where I didn't know this because everyone in Nottingham knows it. If you're going to meet someone in Nottingham, if two people in Nottingham are going to meet, there's uh, the town hall, which they call the council house, which itself is a is confusing. Yeah, but leave that aside for now. They call it the council. It's a big town hall, columns, you know. Hôtel de Ville, if it was in France, mm-hmm. and uh, there are two lions statues, of two lions, one on either side, and you meet people in Nottingham at the left lion, always yeah. the left lion, and everyone in Nottingham knows that. There's even a cultural magazine in Nottingham called the Left Lion. Uh, meet at the left lion. That's what people say, and not the right lion. Oh my god, no. People would go, what are you talking about? Yeah, you don't meet at the right lion. Yeah. No, you just don't it don't even suggest it. I got and I um again, like Bill's mothers. Why? I don't know. I I'd say in the program if you want to win at hide and seek in Nottingham, just hide behind the right lion. I <laughs> oh, was there I oh, there for eight months. No, <laughs> no one goes there and i and i love the sort of surreal nature of why that is why is it
1: yeah that that is very odd there's just an odd thing about humans and communication and local identity that everyone in the town knows that you meet at the left lion how does that How does that sort of thing get started, and how does it spread and become uh, so accepted and normal? It's it's very interesting uh, these things. It's the same thing with accents, you know. Like accents are an expression of people's local identity, and people in Manchester speak with a Manchester accent, and people there's probably a bit of a blend between the two, but certainly you get an area where people speak in Liverpool, people speak with a Liverpool accent because we're from Liverpool. And then in Manchester, they've got more of a Manchester accent. And mm. like that is an expression of who you are and you accommodate to the people that you, that you associate with and so on. And in England and in, well, the whole country, in the, U- the UK, the accents are so strong and there's so many of them and it just shows that the that people really do have strong connections to their very local areas and stuff and that's yeah, the yeah, same yeah. thing with these little things like the left lion and the and you know um well, Liverpool so
2: it's yes Liber- Liverpool probably more i would say more than any other city in britain has a sort of sense of independence it's almost people identify with liverpool more than they do with with england we're we're liverpool like yeah. And to the extent that if, if you cross the River Mersey, that many people were, of your listeners will have heard of the River Mersey. You cross the River Mersey, and you're in uh, you're in Birkenhead. They still well, they still talk of the Liverpool accent, but they don't do the bits. So much. that's what I noticed. I don't know if that's right. So they talk more like that. Whereas on the other side, it's more sort of musical, and they talk about going to work and but, but <laughs> Liverpool. So it's like, and if you say to people in Birkenhead. So people may know the phrase scouser, which is a a Liverpool uh, saying for what you are, if you're, you know, we're scousers. We're from Liverpool, we're scousers. Exactly. But if you're from the other side of the Mersey in Birkenhead, oh, so you're scousers. That's a very bad thing to say. They're not scousers. You're on the other side of the river. So there's something very sort of, something wonderfully, I don't know, I find it compelling. This other people, more rational people might think, what a stupid thing to spend your life thinking about, but I find that absolutely compelling, and where people identify with, and it's not in a nasty, it's not in a nationalistic way, it's not like mm. a, we're better than the other people, but we're this is how we we are here, you know, for whatever reason, that's why we identify with.
1: I find that fascinating too, and also just find it lovely the different just the different types of accent, the different sounds, and trying to copy them. And there's just so much character in in, in all these different accents. Uh, but do you try to learn them then when you go to do yeah, your I shows?
2: Do those. But it's a, it is also a bit of a madness. And I I went to a few years ago. I went to see uh, a film. People may know. Uh, well, you're more likely to know this in Europe because it's a Ken Loach film, and Ken Loach mm-hmm. films are more more popular outside Britain than inside. But there's a film we did called "The Wind That Shakes the Barley" about uh, the uh, two IRA right. Have yeah, they? in the Irish Civil War in the 1920s. Yeah, okay. But it, so it's a very, very moving film, but it's set in Cork, which is a very specific and difficult accent. And I spent the whole spent the whole time listening to listening to Cork. There's very specific accent during Cork. And it's a it's...
1: very strange sort of intonation that they've got over <laughs> there. That sort no, of thing. Sorry.
2: Yes, you know, it's very good what you're doing as a there. and it's yeah, and it's yeah, and it's. Uh, I spent the whole time trying to, and there's there's like families being killed and wars and mothers crying, and I'm thinking, oh, the mother there. What she's seeing, she's in, and I I felt really bad at the end of it. You know, I thought I'm going to have to watch it again. Not doing that, but yeah, I but then also. For these programs, I if I can't do the accent at all, then it's a bit of a struggle because I'm trying to take the piss out of them and it's – so I do try to learn it. But it's not it, – I don't always. There's some beric. It's it's ones where it's – ones where there's two that you know that are – this is getting very technical, very, very boring. So say people – there's a sort of – it's quite easy to do like a northeast accent, like a Newcastle or something like that, in a northeast of England like that. I think there's something to do with like a vacant influence or something like that. And then up, if you go across the border, and to Scotland and the borders there, there's a wee sort of area where they speak like that. But then Berwick is halfway between the two, and it's half of one and half of the other. And I just couldn't do it. I tried and tried, and I couldn't, absolutely couldn't get near it.
1: I always find when I'm trying to do accents, there are certain holes that you fall into so um yeah, yeah, and also yeah. certain uh, uh, certain holes that sit uh that will they're like portals that take you to other accents so sometimes when i'm trying to do a generic irish accent probably dublin sometimes you slip into a hole and you end up in jamaica you know right. like you you start doing an irish accent and then before you before you know it you've you've become Jamaican. you know <laughs> oh it's quite yeah, you can do, people yeah. try and do a Welsh accent and they end up sounding like they come from India.
2: I think the musicality of it, because if you do a Welsh accent, if you're from Cardiff, that's not so bad, because like, it's quite harsh. But if but like in the valleys, our sort of place, somewhere somewhere out there, you know, Pontypreed or somewhere where there was a lot of people down the pits and all that, and it's quite musical. And if you and for some reason I think if you just start doing it a little bit too if you start doing it just a little bit too sharp then you've got the same musicality as someone from a call center in Mumbai <laughs> it's true yeah and and
1: cockney and australian as well sometimes you get someone who's cockney and then like good day mate yeah go yeah, how you going mate i'm cockney and now i'm now i'm australian mate and now i'm fucking
2: cockney i don't know Do if they... that, there might be a reason for that there might be uh australian accent i don't know if more people from with that accent
1: all the East End gangsters got sent to Australia yeah, you know, yeah. on the prison ships. So they were yeah. like, fucking hell, son. Here we are in Australia. What's going on? Uh, G'day, mate.
2: <laughs> it's interesting. It? I wonder whether – I sometimes ask people from Australia, for example, what, about accents. Uh, and it's. I think it's fascinating that – I don't know the reasons. I'm sure people that have reasons, you can guess at them. I don't know. But Britain has so many – Completely diverse accents. Australia, a place. Obviously, it's to do with the fact that it's they've only had 250 years of, of being there to spread around, whereas we've had 1,000. But a Perth accent is not really very much different from a Melbourne, I don't think. Uh, I certainly can't tell a difference.
1: I bet though. in Australia they would disagree with that, but like I think you're right, right. in terms of the yeah, in terms of let's say the geography. Or just the number of really clearly different accents. The, the if you you know if you take a Scouse accent and a sort of Cornish accent or something, you know there are really major differences between them. Or just Received Pronunciation and Newcastle, you know there are really clear differences. I don't know if you get the same level of diversity uh, in in Australia. I think it's probably fair I to say. No, yeah,
2: I don't. Yes, one thing that is generally that is always the case is that a rural accent is slower than a city accent so for example people uh um like if you're from Somerset if you're if you come from like a little farming place in somewhere like Somerset that's quite a well-known accent and most people can mimic that to some degree then if you go to Bristol which is right in the middle of all that area it's exactly the same accent <laughs> but just it three times quicker and it's true. and it's and I went, and I do know, I might be talking absolute rubbish here, as I probably have most of the time, but, you know, like most of us can do an Australian accent. But the only time I do think, oh, that is different, is when you hear one of these guys from out in the outback and it's the same thing but about like a, almost like a record being played backwards. And it's <laughs> out in the middle of Queensland there and I, the sun's got to my head a little bit and,
1: Ended up sleeping outside in the bush and I had to f- eat a crocodile for breakfast. <laughs> that was a good morning.
2: And then the snake bit me and it's gave me even more crazier than I was before. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, oh, dear. I, I, I hope that uh, my listeners are still with us here. Um,
2: but uh, I don't mind. Probably you do a bit more than me. I love talking about this. I'm absolutely fascinated by it. And I I, I know there are people that study it properly, aren't there? And they'll go, uh, you know, and I don't really, I wouldn't want to study it properly. I just, I'd rather just not know. I'd like, I would not, I don't really want to know why it's black over bills, mothers.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, you get linguists. You know, who will take a scientific approach to understanding Yeah, why certain dialects use certain phrases and why different accents happen and uh, the differences, you know, you break it down phonetically and all that stuff. You know, that's all well and good and I think fascinating. But also there's just something really fun and and enjoyable about exploring uh, all the different varieties of English that we have in the UK and celebrating them.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's fine. Sheffield. Have you ever heard this? There's, there used to be a phrase in Sheffield, if someone was a little bit, you know, dithering, it couldn't make dithering. their mind up. Yeah, could, couldn't make their mind up. Indecisive. Couldn't, like, oh, I don't know what to do. Shall I do that
1: or oh, that? Uh, you're yeah.
2: dithering again. Yeah. So there's a phrase, oh, trouble with him, he don't know if he wants a shit or an haircut. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he doesn't know if he wants a shit or an haircut. He doesn't know, listeners, if he wants a shit or a haircut. You know, I just don't—I don't know what I want. Is it a shit or a That's hair?
2: Brilliant. I think there's something really, really brilliantly descriptive about it. you're so indecisive. You can't even make your mind up about whether you want to go for a, to the toilet or go and cut your hair.
1: I don't know, Mark. I don't know. I just don't feel right today. I think my hair. I think I'm going to go to the hair The hairdressers. Hold on a minute. Wait a minute. No, no. I just need a shit uh lastly mark and i i mean I'm slightly wary of of bringing up a whole new topic here, but I'm gonna do it anyway uh right. and that's the fact that you have another show you've got your podcast which is called uh what the fuck is going on
2: Oh yeah, there's a little phrase on its own, isn't it? That's very English
1: just what the fuck yeah, adding the fuck uh, after a after a question word, you can put the fuck in pretty much any question uh, or after any w h word like where. Where where am I? Where the fuck am I? Who are yeah. you? Who the fuck are you? What is going on? What the fuck is going on? How are you? How the fuck are you? Yeah, you can put the fuck. It's you can a you very can put versatile the
2: versatile word.
1: You can put the oh fuck is definitely the most versatile words in the English language. I'm I'm certain of it. I'm convinced.
2: There was a poet I saw once who said that he worked on a building site once. If it's true, but he said the story that building site. And I, because I don't know grammar enough, I'm probably going to get this wrong. But he said. He saw the word fuck used four consecutive times in a sentence. Heard heard the word fuck used four consecutive times in a sentence as a verb, noun, adverb, and adjective. And he said something was broken, and he went, the fucking fuckers fucking fucked.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The fucking fuckers fucking fucked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would add also to that, you can also say fucking, the fucking fuckers fucking fucked. Because we also use fucking as a as a thing that we say to lead into something else, you know, as a bit like the way we say, uh, you can also say fucking, what should we do?
2: Oh, right. Right. Okay. Here's a thing. I was on, uh, well, quite a long time ago, I was, uh, in Iceland. And I was asked to go on Icelandic television on what was their main political show, the sort of equivalent of the thing that comes on in Britain at, midday on a sunday with us is the chancellor of the exchequer or what have you mm-hmm. and they asked me to go uh the, the the presenter now iceland's a small country you know it's three hundred thousand people so it's it's not like going on a, the bbc or you know a, you know, a, a major television site nbc or something mm. but i went uh I, 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 in particular he, this is quite a long time ago he asked this guy clearly in, in a live interview was leading me towards doing a joke that he'd seen me do the night before in a show in Reykjavik. And it was about... uh, God, this is a long time ago, so I think I turned 40. And I said, I realised that one of the differences that I was singing along to the Rage Against the Machine song that goes, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me, while I was hoovering. And that sort of... (laughs) That just showed
1: that um, you'd entered a, a sort of a new yeah. stage in your life where you're hoovering yeah. and you're going, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Yeah. Oh,
2: hang on, off Mr. missed a bit behind the city. Yeah, so I was um, – so he was leading me into to to that, and I thought, oh, how do I say this? So I said, being professional, I said, yeah, so I, while I, w- I was singing the famous song by – Bank called Rage Against the Machine, people might know it. It's sort of it is screw you, I won't do what you tell me. But I did it while I was hoovering. Live television, and uh, the presenter said, uh, yes, <laughs> but that is not the song. It is, fuck you, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. The song is, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me.
1: And I was a
2: live television. He I mean, was
1: disappointed that you hadn't used the the f yeah. word on live television. He yeah. was like, "No, but Mark, I wanted you to use the word fuck. Why
2: didn't you say fuck? That's the name of the exactly. song, exactly that." And I I said, "Um, yeah, but we're on television," and he went, "But you could say fuck. Why can't you not say fuck? Fuck is fine to say fuck on television." And it was like the equivalent of if this wasn't even like a late night comedy thing. And I'd, so I thought, well. I guess the word fuck has a different strength in every culture, really. Absolutely.
1: I mean, in France, you hear it on the radio in the supermarket. You'll be going, no. you'll be, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. They, they, they used ah. to be a, there used to be a radio station, uh, FGR, fucking good radio. That was the name of the no. radio station. Yeah. <laughs> fucking good radio was the name of the station. Uh, bonjour, Ratus, tous. Uh, vous écoute, uh, fucking good radio. Wow, but
2: you wouldn't say. But Nike is is much harsher.
1: Nick, oh, to Nicky. Nicky, Nicky, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a common, a common insult. To I won't say it because my French listeners will be like, oh, the uh, when he when he says fuck, it's fine, but don't say Nike. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but in in France, the English word fuck doesn't carry the same level of power as it does in English, unless no. of course. I mean, I, obviously, that I think this is true. It's interesting that, that in a second language, when you are listening to a second language, uh, both jokes and swear words have no impact on you. It seems yeah. that, that uh, yeah, the, the, the swear words don't have the same level of power. Although, having said that, I do have some listeners who are obviously who's who have English as a second language, but they still don't like the swearing because they've probably learned that it's. The, and
2: they've learned yeah, not to like up, it. A, there's a, a a little town in Wales called Cynarthen. This is what its language is so fa- well. It's two little things I've learned about about swearing, shall we say, on my doing these shows. Carnarfon, I've not done uh, um and I wouldn't be able to do this. But a, an endearing term of like, "Oh, you silly person." In English, they do speak Welsh there as a first language, but in English, is cunt. Mm -hmm. Oh, you silly cunt. They say that in Carnarvon. That's amazing. And they, and, uh, oh, you you know, to your granny. Hello, granny. Oh, I've, I've dropped me pencil. Oh, you silly cunt. Yeah. uh, That's that's, that's the the power of language because to people outside Carnarvon, that is like, what?
1: Yeah. So I'd say there's two versions of the, of the word cunt. There's the, the X-rated version, which is used as a very, very insulting swear word, and it's taken really, really, really badly. But then, in some places, the word "cunt" is used as like a just an everyday, almost everyday word to refer to someone. So, like that, yeah. Oh, you silly cunt, or or even like um, uh, like uh, I think in Glasgow they use it like that too. Like, um, uh, you know, look at these cunts over here, like.
2: Yes, Meaning just in, people. In this town, it's not even, but even then, if you you wouldn't say it, I wouldn't say that to me mum. I wouldn't if I'd ever said to me mum, you know, if she went, Oh, I can't find me glasses, oh, you silly cunt. She'd, she would have just frozen, she would have frozen like in a Greek myth with Midas or whatever. She'd be like that and she would still be stoned. I got so, but here it's just Now, here's another thing. So this is, I think this is fascinating, right? So tell me if I'm going on too much. Right. The Isle of Portland is this little area of Dorset. Used to be an island. There's a little bridge there now. So, but for a reason that nobody is quite sure, and I I heard all the debates when I went there, you're not allowed to say the word rabbit. Rabbit is a swear word. They talk about underground mutton. If they, uh, there was a film, Curse of the Werewolf. People might know, and when it came out in, uh, when it came out in the Isle of Portland, it was advertised as Curse of the Were Bunny. What?
1: Oh, couldn't... the Were
2: Rabbit. Curse of the Were Rabbit. The the Wallace and Gromit film, right? Sorry, what did I say? Sorry. Okay, Curse of the Were Rabbit. Yeah, and the Wallace and Gromit film had to be the Curse of the Were Bunny in the Isle of Portland because.
1: Sorry, just to be clear, listeners, the Isle of Portland is uh, just off the south coast of England, uh, off Dorset. It's uh, it's kind of an island, I guess. It gets uh, at high tide, it probably gets cut off, but it's right. a, li- a little island just to the south of
2: yeah, on the south coast of of, of England. Little tiny place, very beautiful, very dramatic, lot of wind. But the
1: and- word r- the word rabbit there is a swear word. How how on earth is that?
2: We don't know, but it's absolutely forbidden kids will be sent home from school for saying rabbit it's forbidden so of course i do a big bit of the program and we're talking about you know i'm using these youth, you know, and i've been there a few two or three days making the program and so on and i was now talking about underground mutton and furry creatures and this sort of thing and you get used to it and you start building up a sort of um a, a mental emotional charge that, oh, my God, it would be really terrible to say rabbit. And I had a bit of the script, right, where we're talking about, you know, I'm even talking to someone who I think was a linguist there and why it happened and stuff. And the end of the program was there's a, there was a famous sort of little London musical act in Britain that people may have heard of called Chaz and Dave. And they had a very famous song. Their first famous song was called Rabbit. That in itself is interesting because rabbit is slang for talking too much. But leave that aside. It was rabbit. And the song went rabbit, 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 rabbit. So at the end of the show in the island Portland, in front of quite a big audience from the island of Portland, all gone very well, I said, um, so uh, uh, Portland, I'm going to finish tonight we're, as we had such a lovely time, we're going to have a lovely sing along. And what better song to sing together as a community song? The famous old song by Chaz and Dave. And they started already started booing. And then it became like, oh no, this is that some of these people are booing, really meaning it. And then the wor- what I had in the script was that I then stopped and I went, oh, come on, in Portland. We've gone really well. You know that I am not, I was not going to end the show by ruining it all by saying the word rabbit and rabbit would actually be the last word in the show yeah but it was so angry the producer was like signaling to me don't do it and I thought well I've got to do it and I said the word rabbit and as I was saying it I actually (sighs) felt fear I thought and but not just fear I thought I can't do this. This is horrible. This is like I'm this is like I've gone into some into a mosque and said something, you know, the worst thing you can possibly say in a in a religious yeah. citadel. You know, it just uh, and and I and then I I thought, no, but that's mad. But that is the sort of power of language, is that mm-hmm. I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know what it says about the power of language. Very interesting though,
1: because it does kind of show us that uh, a word which is Yeah, a word can just be given this power. I don't know how that happens. I mean, you know, going back to the C word, um, we have other words in English that mean the same thing. Other words which are also kind of swear words. Like we've got the word twat as well, which is exactly the same as the word cunt. I mean, it's the same thing. But the... But the power of it in, you know, I, I mean, it's different in America and other parts of the country, probably. But like where I'm from, uh, twat is just like much more mild and will mm. not cause offence, even though no. it's essentially exactly the same as the C word. Um, and I don't really know why that is. No idea. It's just it's kind of arbitrary or. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a mystery. a, mystery. It's
2: a bit like the rabbit thing, isn't it? We just this particular word is going to be uh, prescribed, and suddenly, very, very quickly. I mean, I must, you know I was studying the Isle of Portland for maybe three weeks. I was there for about three, three or four days. And by that time, it was enough for me to have this, "Oh my God," and a bit of me was going, "Oh, I've got to do it,", cause it uh, and, and then also a bit of me going, "But it's irrational." To, and then uh, yeah, it's uh, irrational. And some people loved it, and the two or three people were very angry. Two people threw a pound coin at me.
1: What a pound coin! Yeah, wow, that's like a very heavy thing to yeah. throw. That's that. That's serious.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: What? S- more than one person threw a pound coin at you? Two of them. Two people threw pound coins at you for saying yeah. rabbit. That is yeah. insane. They
2: were very angry, and I uh, and it, it was wow. in this very strange. This the theatre in this big sort of Ministry of Defence building uh, the administrative fence no longer use. And it came out, there was amazing sort of, it looked very much like something out of the shining, this hotel, uh, where the theater was in. And I, I sort of went, went out afterwards. There was a little bar that was just lost in this great big, enormous corridor that was probably 200 yards long. And we were sort of sat in the bar. This old fella came over with his wife. It must've been about 80. He looked absolutely charming, this chap. And he had a cravat and everything. And he, he said, uh, He came over and he said, I'm so glad you did that. He said, I'm sick of these people here. They bloody stupid, ridiculous thing. You're not allowed to say it. And his wife went, oh, oh, he does get cross. And he was a lovely fellow. And he walked off. And then about three minutes later, by which time he'd gone halfway down this big, long corridor, and there were still lots of people milling about, he got up onto the piano. (laughs) There was a big piano there. Uh And he started playing Run, Rabbit, Run. On the piano. Run, rabbit singing. run, rabbit run, run, run. There's right. an, an old song from the war, Run, Rabbit Run, and he was playing that on the piano. And you could just hear his wife echoing down the corridor Oh, get off, love, you'll cause no end of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh my god well there you go listeners viewers uh, if you ever go to Portland just don't ever say rabbit okay unless you no. want to really cause a lot of fuss um which you know you'd get a story out of it that's for sure mark we could keep talk I, I could keep talking to you all day uh i, I would love to but uh, I think we probably should stop because I think all my listeners will just be skeletons with headphones on yeah, at this yeah, point yeah. Well,
2: that's uh, all right that's charm drama doing a podcast is you sort of oh well you can listen up until when you get fed up and then exactly, exactly. You know, Jesus fucking Christ.
1: <laughs> Mark, I'll recommend to my listeners that they listen to your, uh, your other shows and stuff. I'll, I'll mention them in the sort of ending of this. Uh, but thank you so much for, uh, taking the time to talk to me yeah, and so to my, my listeners as well. It's been lovely. really good it's
2: fun. Probably got, got, got me. I got, got me over the mental trauma of watching that film with the demons.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Forget about that now. Just think about run, rabbit, run instead. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Mark. Cheers. Okay, so that was Mark Steele on Luke's English Podcast. And congratulations. You made it to the end of the episode. Almost. Because now here's just a few minutes of rambling at the end of the episode now. A bit of rambling here, which people who only watch the video version of this don't get. So, well done. Special. A special treat for you. You get more words. Oh, I bet you're glad, aren't you, that you listened all the way to the end of this. So, Mark Steele on Luke's English Podcast. Let me know how that was for you. I'm always curious to know how you receive these episodes. And especially, well, especially this one, especially ones like this, where I have a guest who I'm very pleased to present on the show, or I'm doing something or talking about something that I'm really excited about. and really happy to, to feature on my podcast. But then I think, ah, maybe those Lepsters in Lepland have a different response to this. I don't know. Um, so this one was a big one for me because it's Mark Steele off the telly, you know The telly, that means the TV. the television. Mark Steele off the telly and the radio and stuff. He's a columnist in the, in a newspaper and he's got books and, and things in the shops and everything. Um, so this was a big deal for me that I got to have Mark De- Mark Deal no. Mark, it's a, it was a big steal for me to have Mark Deal on the podcast. No, I mean, it was a big deal to have Mark Steele on the podcast. For me, I was, like, really excited. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. Great. Maybe I can get other, like, well-known comedians. Uh, and then I think to myself, well, but actually, my audience, they don't care. They've got no clue, have they? they you don't... You, this, this is meaningless to you to an extent. Um, it's the same thing with Jerry Seinfeld. Who I can now say I interviewed on this podcast, and that was a, that's a massive thing for me because he's a huge star. But for the vast majority of you listening in Lepland, you're like Jerry Jerry, Jerry Sein, Seinfeld. What's that? Is that a person? What is who is that? Jerry is that Jerry from Tom and Jerry? If it's not, I'm not interested. I don't know. There are certain celebrities who are well known internationally. Okay. And then there are certain celebrities who are massively famous in the English speaking world, but then out there in the slightly less English speaking world, these people have no impact at all on your lives. So I don't know. But anyway, just judging Mark entirely on his appearance on this podcast, uh, what did you think? I mean, I think Mark's great. He's very funny. Uh, I won't go on about it anymore, but anyway, I was very happy to have him on the podcast and I hope that you were happy to, for me to have him on the podcast too. As I said before, check out Mark Steeles in town where you can listen to um, him visiting different towns in the country and doing a stand up show in each one and making jokes about them and there are there are like I think six seasons of this where he visits different places in every episode. It's really good. I really recommend it. Mark Steele's in town. You can get it on BBC Sounds. If you just download BBC Sounds, the app, on your phone, unless it's been blocked in your country, which might be the case, because maybe your country has decided, no, we don't want um, topical, humorous radio shows to be available. It's just too dangerous. Maybe that's what's going on there. I don't know. It might. Uh, who knows? But um, if you can get BBC Sounds on your phone, and it's a, it's a good app anyway because it lets you it lets you listen to all the BBC radio stations. That's what I do. I listen to the radio all the time, and you get all the BBC radio stations, like BBC Radio One, which is full of uh, pop music that uh, the kids of today listen to. I don't listen to BBC. I don't listen to Radio One anymore because I'm forty five. Uh, but then there's Radio Two, which is more the sort of middle-aged um, demographic, and they play you know very mainstream pop music, and there's bits of conversation and stuff. Radio Three is classical music, which is lovely to have on in the background. And between the between the, the uh, pieces of music, there's some soft talking, where they say that was the fifth concerto by Blardy Blardy Blue Blue, and da 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 da, and the, you know slightly posh accents and classical music. And then there's Radio 4, which is conversations about different topics, documentaries, news bulletins every hour, and uh, talking, speech, English, being spoken all the time. Then there's Radio 5, or as it's known, 5 Live, which is a sort of a sports station. They focus mostly on sport, but they also talk about other issues. And it's a kind of, it's kind of like talk radio. They have um, listeners calling into the show and discussing things, lots of speaking. Um, And again, a good idea if you want to, you know, work on your English, you can just hear sort of natural conversation. It's not too formal. Uh, And then Radio 6 or BBC 6 Music, which is the one I listen to the most, and that's where they play really good music it's just like really a really good eclectic mix of excellent music and it's very cool and hip and you get to listen to all of the coolest best music selected by really good DJs um, and there's loads of other stuff as well, like all the podcasts and things. So there you go. that's a little recommendation for you. I was thinking a while ago of doing an episode where I actually uh, listen to BBC sounds on the podcast and kind of give you a little tour of the of the app and we can listen to little samples of the of what they're playing on the radio. I don't know if that's if I'm even allowed to do that. I don't know. Uh, the BBC might kind of go, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, you can't, you totally can't do that. But then I'll say, but I'm advertising your your app around the world. And then I'll say, hmm, uh, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so there's Mark Steeles in town on BBC Sounds. And also you could check out Mark's podcast, What the Fuck is Going On, where Mark work, tries to work out what the fuck is going on and he talks about politics and stuff. So if you like to hear people talking about the UK's political situation, then check it out. It's very funny. And Mark is suitably scathing about our government. And um, I do recommend it. So there you go. You could also check out Mark Steele's books and all that, couldn't you? Um, All right. Thank you so much for listening. Let me know your thoughts in the comments section. And as ever, I assume and hope and pray that you do have thoughts in your head. I don't know, maybe not. Maybe, you're, again, you're just a skeleton now, and you're uh, maybe you're, you, all your thoughts perished half an hour ago. But if you're still with us, then uh, write something in the comments section. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I will speak to you again very soon. But for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye.